This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, this is Pete Munoz, the drummer of Dallas' own Thunder Road, a tribute to Bruce Springsteen. And when I'm not playing Bruce's music, I'm listening to my good friend Jesse Jackson on Fet Lusting Bruce. Slip something into my palm there, you were gone. I can smell the same deep green of summer. Above me, the same night sky was glowing. In the distance, I could see the town where I was born. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me tonight is a fellow Dallasite, a um, a rarity of a Set Lusting Bruce guest. I've actually met him in person and that's an interesting story to share uh but tonight i have tim joining me how are you doing tim i'm doing wonderful how are you doing i am doing great i am excited to be talking to you um i'm here so tell us a little about yourself okay i'm a 38 year old meeting planner in the dallas area i work with corporations and associations and plan meetings for them all over the world um just finished up earlier this year, hit my 60th country uh, to visit. I love traveling. Um, married, today is actually our 15th anniversary. And we have a two-and-a-half-year-old terrorist, I mean, son. Um, and, uh, yeah, he keeps us on our toes, and then we have three dogs. So. so how did you get pass on anniversary night to joining me on this podcast? It, I mean, we had we went out to lunch this uh, afternoon, and uh, I work from home, and my wife doesn't work outside of the house, so we're uh, always around each other. So it wasn't that difficult to. Well, um, I feel very arrange. honored. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Um, what's funny is um, Tim and I were Twitter buddies, as many of my listeners are, and. Um, we both were going to go see um, Harlan Coben here in Dallas. He's It was a book signing, and um, we kind of exchanged um, Twitter messages like, oh, look for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the short, fat guy in a set Lusting Bruce t-shirt. And 
and you know i was walking out you were walking in talk about glory days and you're like hey are you jesse and i'm like yeah are you tim and we ended up spending 10 or 15 minutes talking it while you were in line to get your book signed absolutely and yeah i've always uh like i said I always like meeting my literary heroes, too, whenever possible. And so that's always, you know, I always look through the paper to see when um, people are coming to town, and I happen to see that you were attending the same thing. So it was very fortuitous that uh, we were able to bump into each other. So Yeah, and so, and at the time you said that you had, um, you were going to get to go to Broadway. Yes, I... So happy about that. Yeah, so uh, we're going to hear about that story, but um, uh, to start out with, as I always do on the podcast, I want to talk about your musical origin. So um, talk about what ca- growing up, what kind of music did your family listen to? Were Was music a big part of your growing up? Not really, because my uh, parents were pretty religious and didn't like any music with a beat. Um, no secular music, pretty much it was classical or non, uh, I don't know, non-heavy, uh, religious music. And so I didn't really have that deep musical background, um, until I really got to be about, I don't know, 12 or 13 and could really, um, you know, listen to what I wanted to on, you know, technically not, uh, allowed if necessarily but you know uh, when you have access to radios and ability to figure out that there is more to the outside world that uh, then i found you know um 60s 70s 80s music and fell in love with uh you know all forms of rock music and you know from any everything from the Beatles to the Stones, the Doors, and uh, everything in between. And then I found Bruce, and when I was about 13, I still remember the first time I popped, uh, I think it was a CD, it may have been a cassette, of Born to Run In. And from that point on, I was like, okay, this guy is the absolute epitome of what music should be. And so... uh, you know, that's a great story, Tim. I, I hear that from a lot of people. Um, not necessarily the story of, you know, family, but the idea of so many people hear that first album and it just, of Bruce's music, and it just, it speaks to them in a way it that other music has He has more resonance in my life than any other external influence that I've uh, been able to chart. So, I mean, no author, no music, musician, no, nothing has been able to shape the appreciation that I have for the creative process like Bruce has. So, That is fascinating. Um, when you heard Burn to Run, then did you go try to find other albums? You know, Absolutely. Yeah. No, I uh, started signing up for... All of those, remember Columbia House and yes. uh, BMG, <laughs> all of the, buy one CD, get like 600 free or whatever yes. um, they were. So I signed up all my siblings for that. So I had a really nice, started having a really nice musical collection. And, you know, Bruce was obviously um, part of that, born in the USA, uh, The River, 
um, you know, all the albums that were available through there, I uh, started getting those. And then uh, I still remember the first time I saw him in concert, and I've now seen him 15 times in concert. So not a, as many as a lot of people, but certainly more than, um, you know, a vast majority of people. Yeah. And every time's different. Every time's a religious experience for me. And you just can't beat the passion and the energy that he pours into his shows. So I, I totally agree, Tim. Did you grow up in Dallas? Uh, born and raised in the Dallas area, yeah. Okay. Greenville, Duncanville, okay. Waxahachie. Uh, so I never really lived in Dallas, but always around the Dallas area. Because um, I grew up in Louisiana, but moved here in 86. Um, so you and I have a similar thing, and I, I mean this with all love in my heart. You know, our East Coast brethrens, you know, it, it's easy to catch, you know, catch 15, 20 shows, because um, especially, Absolutely. you know, you don't have the travel, you can sit there. Um, back in the day, the tickets weren't as expensive as they are now. No. And and even if you are, you can, okay, well, you know, this is, we're going to, you know, eat bologna sandwiches for the next month, but then we can try to see three or four shows. Uh, exactly. When, when you live in Dallas, it's hard to see him. Well, when he comes through, like on his uh, two tours ago, he didn't actually come through uh, Texas at all. And so where I can usually... I would usually do Dallas, Houston, Austin, whatever. Yeah. I couldn't do that on that one. And so on the river, he did come through, and but I had already seen him four times on the river tour, um, and then I was able to see the Dallas show here, um, obviously. But, you know, if I'm here and in town uh, or I can travel a little bit, I will definitely do that to be able to see him because, you know, it is – if this last year or so has taught us anything, it's that you're not guaranteed any additional time with some of your musical heroes. You know, the uh, 20% of my record collection died last year with Glenn Fry, David Bowie, Prince, Leon Russell, Leonard Cohen, George Martin, uh, Merle Haggard, and then this year you had Tom Petty and um, Gord from the uh, Tragically Hip. And, you know, you just have... You have these legends who are, um, you know, getting up there, and they're uh, so you're not guaranteed anything. And so when they come through, you uh, you need to go and see them. So. Absolutely, well said, Tim. I, I was going to ask, um, what was the first show you went to saw him at? I don't remember the exact date. I think it was about ten years ago. It was uh, Reunion Arena. It was one of the last shows at Reunion um, okay. that I remember um, there. And then saw him a couple of years later at American Airlines Center here in Dallas. And then I seen him in New York, Chicago, Atlanta, Austin, Houston, uh, Washington, D.C. I got third row seats for that one. Oh, um, nice. And then four or five times here in Dallas. And then again in um on broadway last week so. yeah and i i can't wait to talk to you about that um i don't know if you are aware but if you there is a website called boss time and okay. um if you go to it and sign up it's a free account 
this wonderful. Oh yeah, they do polls and things of that nature. Yeah, I've, well, I've this, seen them on Twitter. Yeah, this guy actually, there is a database of every show, and okay. if you select the ones you've seen, so you can pick them and think it then does a database of what is your most played songs what is your oh, rare songs what what percentage of the bruce springsteen albums have you heard completely it is a lot of fun um okay i have seen him 15 times as well nice. and uh the song that i've heard every time he's played is not born to run it's the rising that is the only yes. song he has played every time I've heard him p- perform. I would think that would be uh, about the same for me, although I did see him on the Devils and Dust tour, and I'm pretty sure he did not do it then. Was um, it in Grand Prairie? It was in Grand Prairie. He, um, I don't remember him doing it, but he may he, certainly may have because that was about eight years ago. Yeah, so. he did. Yeah, I saw it. That okay. was my second show. And um, so, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun to see. Um, okay, perfect. So, I'll, yeah, I'll take a look at yeah, that. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun for you. So we had talked about while we were at the book signing, and you um, – so talk to me. There's a lot of angst about Broadway, and there's a small amount of fan to – Oh man, he's sold out. He's sending the fat bankers. He's performing shows, and you and I discussed that we didn't feel that way at all. Um, no, uh, I don't feel ahead. that way at all. Tell I me. just it's it was a nine hundred and thirty something seat theater. It was tiny. I've never seen. I haven't seen it, almost any shows in a venue that small in a long, long time. And so when he's doing – initially he said he was doing 40 shows or 39 shows, which put 40,000 tickets out there. And anybody who knows Springsteen knows he can sell out 40,000 seats at the Meadowlands in about eight minutes. And so obviously tickets were going to be very hard to come by. Uh, They weren't going to be – and so either you could scalp them uh, at three or four times the going rate – or you were lucky enough to get one. And there's no way to guarantee all fans uh, access to a ticket. And while I feel very bad for some people who, you know, didn't get them, there's no way for uh, to give out 40,000 tickets in a fair and equitable way um, that everybody who wants one will get one. Because the numbers I heard were 3 million people signed up for the uh, verified by Ticketmaster. Uh, ticket yeah. So I, I totally agree, Tim. You know, one of the things that Peter Chianco, who does Blogness on the Edge of Town, talked about in his blog is that the name Verified Fan is, it should be Verified Person or at least Verified Ticket Buyer. Um, Correct. Because, you know, there, there is no system to judge how big of a fan you are. And I was There's a not. Li- I was a little sad at people who took this as a personal, like, oh, I can't, you know, personally insulted they didn't have the chance to buy tickets. Um, you know, it it's do the math, right? There's way too exactly. much demand. Like I said, there's, yeah. there was a ton of demand. And even when I've bought tickets to his 20,000-seat arena shows, um, 
I've been, I've had to fight to get those. You yes, know, you have to go absolutely. get on it directly. Um, you know, Madison Square Garden. When I saw him last year on the Rising Tour in January, uh, we got the tickets and they were sold out in three minutes. If we didn't get the ticket right then, uh, and I paid I think 170 some odd dollars for the ticket, I could have sold it the next day for uh, you know eight nine hundred dollars. I wasn't going to do that, but I could have done that because the demand was so high. And so, yeah. And you you figure, you know, on the Rising Tour, he did what seventy, eighty dates. So I mean, then that's you know, hundreds of thousands of tickets, and he sold out every single one of them. Um, and so, yeah, he's a big draw. He is going to sell out uh, every single um, venue that he, uh, whether it's domestic or international. I'm not aware of maybe this any other act right now that could, maybe the Rolling Stones. Probably you two could do it, but there's not a whole lot of other acts that can have that level of international and domestic appeal and demand for their um, tickets. So, and he's certainly very fortunate in that regard, but he is also playing a much smaller venue now, and he still has to bear all of the costs of rental. Uh, the security, the uh, you know set design, paying the union fees and everything else, and so he, but he doesn't have the forty thousand people to uh, bear those costs, and so he obviously the tickets are going to cost a little bit more and be a little bit more difficult to get. So I, I agree I, with you saying verified yeah. people would probably be a better or verified ticket buyer or whatever, but it it still it was a process that seemed fair. And fortunately for us, we had two Ticketmaster accounts that we have we used. My wife and I each have our own, and we use those all the time um, to try to double our chances to get different um, seat or different concerts that we want to go to. You know, we want to go to Queen. I'll be on one computer; she'll be on the other. We'll be talking back and forth on the phone, saying, "Hey, I got um, you know this one." These seats, um, and so we buy tickets all the time on both accounts, and so we have a long history of that. And having bought four or five um, tickets last year for the Rising Tour or for the River Tour, you know, it may have upped the chances. I don't know, but I got standby uh, on her, my account, and she got the code, and so we were able to. Um, I mean, I don't. I was like a you know, kid at Christmas Eve, the next, going to bed that night. Yeah, thinking, I, okay. I, I was going to ask. Um, you must have been just thrilled that you you really well, did Well, thrilled win. that we got a code, but that didn't guarantee tickets. Right, exactly. That guaranteed the ability to look for tickets, to search yes. for tickets. Now, did and, you, I was going to ask you, Tim, do you had – was there a set time period that you knew you wanted to try to get tickets at, or were you open any time during the run? I was going to be open any time. Did, we did have a calendar where I put Sharpie on, okay, I'm going to be in um, you know, Chicago for these dates. I'm going to be in Seattle. I have to be for these dates. So I knew when I couldn't go, but other than that, you know, it, I'm in Dallas, so it's usually a very inexpensive plane ride up to New York, and I'm in the hotel business, so I can always get, 
you know, call in some favors and get some, you know, hotel room. Yeah. Um, you know, as long as it's not New Year's Eve or whatever. So yeah. I wasn't worried about those type of things. So we were very flexible in that. And I figured early in the run, the earlier the run, it would be harder to get tickets. Weekends would be very hard to get tickets. So we settled on a couple of different Tuesdays as our uh, our self defined best uh, best odds of getting them. So now. Uh, is your lovely bride a fan as well? She is. She actually um, went to uh, see Springsteen um, as a kid before I was even born. So she's uh, she's a fan, um, and it turned out once we did get the tickets that um, due to some family illnesses and things of that nature, she uh, decided she did not want to go um, to the show. So I ended up putting one ticket on StubHub, and um, I did sell it to somebody else. But, uh, you know, that she was not able to go, but, uh, you know, she's seen him almost as many times as I have uh, over the course of uh, the years. So. so, wow. So, okay, you've got the chance. You You've now... You've you've gotten the code. You've gotten a chance. You've bought the tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, they were four hundred dollars or four hundred and thirty dollars each, and uh, you know, I, I it's far and away the highest I've ever spent for concert tickets. But end of the day, it's Bruce on Broadway. And did you have in your mind this is the most I'm going to pay? Not really. Okay. Uh, I knew that they ranged from seventy-five to eight fifty, and I didn't really have a set amount um, that I was going to pay because, you know, end of the day, I wanted to see the show, and so we were able to um, get the tickets in that mid-range, and you know, it was they were expensive, obviously, but yeah. they. Um, it was uh, something that I was really, um, you know, really passionate about wanting to see. And um, that really, uh, you know, made the – in 20 years, I won't think about how much the tickets cost. So – but I will remember that night. So Yeah. So you're there, um, and you get to – um, and I'm sure you're disappointed your lovely bride couldn't come with you, but I am. But also, hey, it's Bruce. <laughs> you didn't sell, exactly. offer to sell both tickets. You went, oh, I'm really sorry. Exactly. And yeah. so, it, end of the day, uh, you know, we had already booked airfare, so I sold the ticket for enough that it covered, um, you know, the other the price of the, her airfare that I was not able to get re, re, refunded. I mean, right. Um, so. But, you know, end of the day, it was, um, I get there, I flew in the, the morning of, um, spent some time at some museums, and then I, um, I was walking past the theater just to make sure I knew where it was and all of that good stuff. And I saw about 15, pe- uh, 20 people uh, kind of gathered around the stage door. And I asked some people, what are you waiting for? And they're like, nah, I don't know. Somebody said Bruce might be coming in in a few. This was about 5, 15, 5.30, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. The show started at 8. And so 
I'm like, yeah, what the hell? I'm not. Uh, don't really have anything else to get do. Just want to grab some dinner sometime. So I'm standing around there, and about ten, fifteen minutes later, um, black uh, SUV rolls up, and Patty gets out at, at the stage door uh, site, and I videotaped this, so I have uh, this all on video. But Patty gets out. Um, and walks in the theater, waves to everybody, and then turns the camera, and from the street side, here comes Bruce walking around, waving to everybody, and looking still a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, I think he is one of those guys who, regardless of how uh, much fame and fortune he does have, he's still a little bit uncomfortable by the attention. And so he's like, hey, everybody, waved to everybody, uh, and then walked in. So it was really cool. You were about, I don't know, four or five feet from him the entire time, and it was just awesome. So um, then I went to dinner, came back, and the show started at 8, so I went in at 7, and it uh, it started right on time. Uh, you know, some of his shows start 20, 30 minutes late. At 8.01, he walks out on the stage to thunderous applause. I mean, it was... But then it was weird because that it turned into the crowd. I think the crowd was uh, very, very much Springsteen fans. But they were also respectful of the fact that they were on Broadway. And so it was kind of odd uh, as far as the crowd goes because... You know, it's for the first time in your life you're not being able to sing along to every single Bruce song that you know every single word to. Right. So. Uh, I was going to ask that. Um, you know, I've read, I've read some reviews. I've read some fans have posted their thoughts. Um, I do not. I do not feel that this is, and I'm not judging, but. This isn't like back when Empire came out and someone spoiled, you know, the connection between Luke and Darth Vader. You know, knowing what right. it's going to happen in the show, I don't really feel like is, oh, my God, you've spoiled this for me. Uh, you know, we search for <laughs> we search for set lists all the time. I mean, well, sure. Uh, and sets, I mean, that's they're yeah. available on set list FM or, you know, yeah. any of the other um sites out there and you know he at one time during um dancing with the dark i think it was which is 13th or 14th song that he did almost at the very end um he uh people started kind of clapping and singing along and he raised his hand, right hand up from his guitar and said thanks everybody i got this uh and he so it was different performance but it was completely you were in awe the entire time you have never seen anybody of that stature in such close proximity i mean there are 900 seats there wasn't a bad one in the house and there was a lot of different times that he would uh speak or sing without a microphone and yeah. you could still hear it from i was in row Elm, I think it was, so about 12, 13 rows from the stage, and he, you could hear every single word, and it was fantastic. I've never felt that 
connection with an artist. And if you've read his book, which I assume most of your listeners have, yes, uh, you know it's it's just a fantastic book. But um, the best, even if I didn't like Springsteen, it would still be the best autobiography I've ever read. And you know, I, I read it. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you there, Tim. I, I totally agree because um, I'm. I read it when it first came out, and um, I'm currently listening to it uh, via an audio book um, because this is close as I can get to seeing Springsteen on Broadway is hearing right. him read the autobiography. And, um, you know, I'm a big Beach Boy fan, and I love Brian Wilson. He right. is one of my other musical heroes. But, like, his autobiography that came out the roughly the same time as Bruce's, it is night and day. Oh, it, it fell. It fell. I've read some of it, and it fell very, very flat. Yes, it didn't have the same. I mean, there was a time when I was reading the book. I mean, this is reading a book where I almost cried because he said that a tree that he grew up with was no longer there, and you know, you you get me to cry about uh, a tree being uh, cut down. You've done something right um, as far as being able to paint a picture and have that emotion. So, yeah, I totally agree. And and um, you know, I'm reaching the point in the book. It just, you know, he was talking about his his marriage falling apart and how guilty he was and how much he blames himself and how mm-hmm. and and how that he and Patty you know, had to fight to get their marriage together. And he's, that was good, right? Because he's never fought before. And, and right. this was, um, you know, I, I shared with you before um, we started recording that earlier today, I interviewed a writer um, that's got a new book coming out. And she quoted like, writing's easy. You just sit down and you s- slice open a vein and let your blood come out. Right, I felt that's like that's what he did this time. I mean, I think he, he bared himself he put as more much. into that than I've ever felt anybody um, put. I mean, he was open up so much about his relationship with his father and his depression and things of that nature that you would typically not have somebody open up unless you really, really were close friends with them. And so he really let people into a very, um, you know, what most people would have a very guarded corner of their life. And yeah. so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But the songs uh, that he did, he, and he ended up doing 15 songs, um, but he would talk about his, um, you know, his childhood and his aunts and his uncles and his family life, and then had seen growing up. Um, and then, you know, he'd talk about... and. It, when I t- say talk, it wasn't this, you know, rambling. It w- it was passages from the book. So um, he actually would take the passages. There's probably a teleprompter somewhere in there um, because there were some long passages in there. But um, you know, on stage he has a teleprompter too. So who could ever fault him for that? But um, you know, he would do talk about. Um, freehold, and then he'd go break into sing uh, my hometown, and it was just 
riveting. I mean, you listening to the um, you know the songs that he had selected to go with every story of about his mother, his father, um, getting out. You know the moving, uh, traveling across America, doing this the Promised Land, and um, you know meeting Ron Kovac with, and then breaking going into Born in the USA, which he reminded everybody was always a protest song, um, and you know the whole thing was totally amazing, um, and I really, really, really hope that they do an extra performance or two and actually um, tape it and because it is it's that good it was if they had sold a DVD of the performance um, at the um, exit I would have paid 50 bucks for it and uh, without even thinking and it was amazing I would really hope that uh, HBO or Showtime or somebody with says hey let's bring some, uh, some high-def cameras uh, in and really be able to capture this because it was better than storytellers. It was better than any um, show because he just, he was open and he was raw and it was, it, I mean, hearing Thunder Road with only him, uh, occasionally strumming a guitar, but pretty much some of the, most of the songs like Thunder Road and um you know, were um, only, it's almost only a cappella. And wow. I mean, the, the the majesty and power of that song, it's poetry set to music uh, is what it is, and it's the best damn poetry you'll ever read, ever. Um, and hearing it there, you know, it if, you, if it didn't give you cold chills, uh, you don't have any emotions. Um, you're just an android. If it didn't give you cold chills and almost make you cry, so you know. Um, there's. I just listened to Rolling Stone has a podcast, and the two hosts talked about the. They were there at I guess the premiere night when a lot of the celebrities. It was. You oh, know, right. They had, yeah, and they had. That was two days after I was there. Yeah, so. and. He talked about, you know, during the wish that a lot yes. of people had tears because – and and that is I, – I, to share, Tim, you know, I was listening to the wish and um, I had – it was around Christmas time and I was listening to it and it was right after Merle Haggard died and um, I felt like I lost my father again when I heard Merle Haggard had died because he loved Merle Haggard so much. And I was listening to the wish and I stopped, I grabbed my cell phone and I called my mom and my mom did not get it. You know, my mom had no concept of, well, why are you calling me? I mean, you know, and, and, but I just was, you know, I knew that there was a lot of people who can't call their mom. And so I was going to call. And I suppose according to them, he mentions his mother fighting Alzheimer now and um and which i know he's talked about before so once again i don't sure. think that's a spoilers but no um i had just seen the glenn campbell documentary about his fight with alzheimer's and so i i can imagine the emotion of that in that small of a venue um, oh yeah that that's what really 
Um, I mean, when I saw him, you know, in at Devils and Dust, it was at a four thousand seat arena, and right. so, um, and you know, some of the seats are a little ways away, and uh, you don't get that, you know, almost face to face interaction. The closest I've ever come to the feeling, this feeling, was uh, of just being right there, was a few years back, probably seven, eight years ago. Um, I saw Garth Brooks in Las Vegas, and um, they, I had I bought a ticket, and then when I went there to go pick it up, I found out it was front row, dead center. Wow. And so for three hours, it was Garth and me. I forgot about the other 1,500 people, and it was him and a guitar. And, you know, you have to be an amazing performer with a deep catalog to be able to do that. Bruce could do it. Um, Paul Simon could do it, uh, obviously Dylan, uh, but Garth did it very, very well. But there's not a hell of a lot of people who can, you know, sit there and just um, do the uh, the their music, their musical influences and things like that. And it was that was as close as I've ever come to uh, replicating that feeling. Although with Bruce. He's far above Garth in my mind because um, I love Garth Brooks, but I worship Bruce. So yeah, I mean, there. I think obviously you're talking to a guy who does a Bruce Springsteen podcast, so I'm not going to exactly. argue with you. Yeah, no. uh, totally. I, I I get that. Um, it sounds amazing. Uh, did you? Yeah, it, it it really was, and it really. I didn't really know what to expect because I refused to read any reviews before I um, saw it, and. There weren't, weren't a whole lot of reviews until opening night anyway, um, but I refused to read any spoilers or anything else. I just um, And one of the best moments was when uh, Patty came out, and uh, she did harmonized on two songs, both from Tunnel of Love, Tougher Than the Rest, which I think is one of his most underrated songs ever, and then yes. Brilliant Disguise, which, uh, you know, again... He wrote that about him cheating, as you find out in his book. Yeah. Uh, not, and uh, not about anybody cheating on him, but he wrote that about him cheating with Patty on uh, his first wife. And so, you know, it, it was. She came out, harmonized on those, and then left. But I mean, it was full Broadway. It was there wasn't you know dancers there. It was him and a guitar and a few empty stage cases. But it was beautifully lit. It was beautifully. And the crowd eventually realized, you know, that it was, uh, you know, certainly okay to clap and, uh, you know, cheer, but not necessarily to scream Bruce every time he opened his mouth, you know, those type of things. So they, the crowd did, it was completely different than any Springsteen show I've ever been to or any concert I've ever been to as well, just because it was a performance versus an experience. Um, so I totally agree. You know, and I, someone said this, so I'm not being original, but, um, you know, the very first night of previews was the, um, Tom Petty had passed away officially. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of discussion. Oh, he'll do a Tom Petty song. He'll do a Tom Petty song. And he would have been a, if it had been a concert, but it's a show. 
and so he dedicated to him but i think that sent a true message this is not devils and dust this isn't Mm-mm. ghost of tom Jode. This is truly a Broadway show written and directed by Mr. Springsteen. Um, I am so hoping that um, he can get nominated for a Tony. Well, and- all he has to do is to do that is I was reading in one of the Broadway things. One, all he has to do to do, uh, get nominated is have a special showing for just the Tony voters. Yes. Um, because right now they can't get tickets. And there's right. 600 of them. And yeah. so if he if he does one extra show, invites the Tony voters, um, I don't see any way in this world he doesn't add to his already very nice uh, collection of yeah. hardware uh, by getting at least one, maybe two Tonys. Um, but they said even if he doesn't, um, he'll get us, you know, he'll likely get a special Tony like Raquel Welch did and a few other people have mm-hmm. over the years where they have these non-classifiable shows. Okay. Uh, they're not plays, they're not musicals. So I think he's going to be very well rewarded. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, he's just, he really seemed like he was having fun doing this, that it's awesome. something completely different, but he ha- he was having fun. So I, I doubt that he'll extend the run past February because for him... I always get the sense that the creative process of the show is his lifeblood, you know, where he can change shows up and, you know, on the fly, pick a, a sign out of the, uh, out, uh, and it may be a rare song that they haven't done in, uh, five, 10 years. And he picks this song out and they can jump into that. It's, you know, he loves to, you know, alter his set list. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, I saw him five times on the Rising Tour, and while the first two-thirds of it was the same every time, it was a completely different show because he would come out and do a song that, you know, I hadn't heard since, you know, it was uh, back, you know, in middle of tracks or something like that. Exactly. So it, so it was fun to, and so I don't think, I think he put, has put all this creative process into the show already, but I think after you know four months or something he's going to want to i think this is a precursor for another tour because i don't think he's fulfilled unless he's actually out there um you know with that creative i I also i do believe and you talked about you saw the river multiple times so did i i ended up seeing five times and i got the feeling very much that the band recognizes that there is a limited amount of time where they're going to be able to do this together. And so I think they found every show, every song precious and and enjoyed the experience. And and it was, I mean, you could even see them rolling their eyes when this, you know, 67 year old man was out there crowd surfing on hungry heart and on the river um yeah. and so you could see little steven you know just rolling his eyes like god that guy's gonna break a hip uh, eventually yeah. but um and then i'm back to doing the sopranos um yeah. so, <laughs> but you know it end of the day it was you did you definitely felt that there was that cohesiveness um and he mentions that them in the show um you know talking about that 
like he did in the book about that most of the time one and one is two. But yes. every so often, one and one makes three. And he was talking about the E Street Band, how they were together, they're greater than the sum of the parts, you know. Amen. It's, uh, Absolutely. It's kind of how I feel about ACDC, yeah. you know. Uh, if you break them apart, there's really not a lot of greatness there. Um, and I'm not. I'm talking about ACDC, not Bruce right now. Yeah. But, you know. Terrible songwriting, uh, great guitar playing, um, decent musical, uh, horrible singing. You put it all together, and it's absolute rock and roll magic. So, it's very nice. And with the, well, I mean, seriously, listen, yeah. No one can listen to Brian Johnson's uh, scream or screech without for without the music. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, I I love. Um, I no, I I think back that's a here in Dallas and. Almost went deaf. So uh, I think that that's a great uh, analogy. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you pick a favorite song from the Broadway? From the Broadway, um, the live almost acapella version of Thunder Road. Absolutely, I've heard that song, and I'm not exaggerating. Probably two to three thousand times in my life. It's obviously one of my favorite songs, and how could it not be? Hearing yeah. it uh, 20 feet away with just a, uh, an occasional guitar string, unbelievable. Um, and then when T- Patty came out and did Tougher Than the Rest with him, that was also um, you know, just a complete highlight. But um, he didn't get political. I know some people were um, thinking he might, but he just... Um, but he did do a song that he did, I think it was off the Magic album, called Long Walk Home. And he kind of said it in today's world with some of the craziness that's going on. And it had a whole new meaning for me uh, when he did it in that, um, you know, said it really against the some of the injustices that are going on right now. And so I really appreciated that song more after hearing it um, when he did that than I have in the past. In the past, it was a good song. Now it's a great song. So. Awesome. Very nice. But, but no, I, I, you know, picking a favorite Springsteen song, we could be here all damn night. Um, yeah, it's just not going to, um, to be an easy thing. But in the concept of the show, um, Thunder Road, Tougher Than the Rest, and... Long Walk Home were, were probably my, uh, my three favorites. Very nice. Good. Well, thank you so much for taking time tonight to share with me. Uh, I, I appreciate it so much. Um, you know, and and I am so glad that you got the chance to see and share. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing with us. If someone wants to reach you, Tim, how can they? Well, um, I'm on Twitter um, where we met. And mm-hmm. my Twitter... Um, account is LV Meeting MTG Concierge, and so um, I just kind of tweet about all different stuff there um, and enjoy annoying politicians. Um, uh-huh. Good on there, um, and as I think everybody should, because uh, they annoy us. So why not annoy them back? And so. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's pretty much 
Um, I just, like I said, I, I love traveling and a lot of times I'll have some travel pictures and things like that on there, but, uh, it's, it's just fun to engage with different people, um, in that regard. So. Perfect. Well, um, hang on while I do a little business. Um, okay. if you want to be on the show and, share your Springsteen story. Uh, I can be reached at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I also, um, we have a Facebook page. You can go and like, and I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. And sometimes I am, they think I'm the politician that um, needs to be given a hard time too and I always have to tell them I'm not that Jesse Jackson I'm the one obsessed with Doctor Who and Bruce Springsteen um, please go to iTunes to rate and review us it does help me find listeners uh, Tim uh, what's the next big show you got going on well I did have two I did have two concerts for Bob Seeger, one here in the Dallas area um, supposed to be next week, and then one in Austin, and both of them got canceled because of his back sur- or back problems. Mm. Not canceled, but just postponed. So I don't currently have any tickets in my uh, repertoire okay. right now, and so I'm going to have to obviously remedy that. Uh-huh. This year has been a good good time or good one for concerts. I've seen. Uh, let's see, Tom Petty, Joe Walsh. Um, I took my two year old to that one, and. Uh, he'll be able to say for the rest of his life that his first concert was Tom Petty's, uh, one of his last ones. Nice. And so I saw Don Henley, um, obviously Springsteen. I've seen Queen, which was an amazing show. Um, we saw James Taylor, Bonnie Raitt, uh, Pink Floyd, well, Roger Waters, uh, yeah. but it might as well be Pink Floyd. But um, so yeah, it's been a good good year for concerts, but good. I don't really have anything on the books right this okay. second. But I can't wait to uh, get something in the very near future. I was really looking forward to seeing Seeger uh, later on, but I wish him all the best and hope that he is back up and running in the very near future because he is a national treasure as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tim. Hang on. I want to finish with my father said, "Son, we're lucky in this town." It's a beautiful place to be born. It just wraps its arms around you. Nobody crowds you, and nobody goes it alone. Your flag flying over the courthouse means certain things are set in stone. Who we are, what we'll do, and what we won't. It's going to be a long walk home. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Tim. And we'll talk to you soon. So I am so glad we got to work out. You, We met at the uh, book signing, right, Tim? Yes, the Harlan Coben signing, yes. what was that, a week, two weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, so... And was, you had, uh, it was always nice to be able to meet some some of my literary heroes as well, so... Yeah, absolutely. So, man, I am so cool. I'm so happy that you're able to jump on and join me, so that's great. Did you... Uh, did you kind of see my agenda, rough agenda? Yes. Okay. Yes, cool. I saw that. So. All right, good. Any questions? I just finished talking to, speaking of writing, a lady named Barbara Quinn has written a book. Um, oh, damn it. I'm going to get it wrong. Um, the Summer That Springsteen Song Saved Me. And yeah, and it's it's a novel. Um, the um, character, the lead character, uh, finds her husband um, sleeping with his personal trainer, uh, Mandy, in their house, and she escapes. And the each there's forty three chapters, and each chapter is a different Springsteen um, lyric, you know, song. And she tries right. to make the, not overly, but, you know, kind of the theme of that chapter um, fit. And the main character is a big uh, Springsteen fan. But like I told okay. her, I, I don't feel like she oversold it. It is a, his music is a minor character in the right. novel but not overwhelming you know it okay it, yeah and so it's so far it it, it feels like a, it's going to be a romance novel but it's been really well and she was good it it's coming out in a couple of weeks so i had just finished talking to her and um i was editing the ep- episode yeah i just um you know i think i shared with you i had been going through chemo and so i had a f cancer uh, playlist and it was like 80 percent you know springsteen so oh, sure and, and so uh seeing that title really made me go oh wow you know this is cool so all right and i always do like it when authors do put some additional uh put some stuff in there where whether it's travel or about some of their like coben always puts some springsteen stuff in and his latest one he has um, several Billy Joel references, mm-hmm. and so it's uh, John Sanford has had one where it, he his characters were talking about the hundred greatest rock star, rock songs of all time, and oh, so nice. it just uh, it's uh, it's always nice to have that additional layer in any novel. So yeah, and I think, and I'll probably end up putting this as a post credit discussion <laughs> because this is pretty interesting like i think one of the things that i always liked stephen king is that he did a lot of pulp culture references in his books um yes. that and and he didn't worry about it making it seem dated he just that was the story he was telling and i appreciate it so yeah exactly. i agree with you it said it it said it in a particular time frame whether, you know, Christine was playing a particular song on the radio and, you know, or, you know, uh, whether his character in Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon was listening to a transistor radio. He doesn't worry about that. No. And I don't think any good author should worry about something being dated. Good writing is always going to be out there. So, Absolutely. I mean, I can, pick, I can pick up Steinbeck and still, I don't care what, uh, you know, that they are riding a horse and buggy. Um, you know, yeah. they don't have to be writing a Chevrolet, so for it to be relevant to my life. Totally so. agree. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 